Imagine you gave a dollar a day to a worthy cause, but you did it along with thousands of Jewish people around the globe, and you all donated to one cause every single day. Thousands of your $1 bills pulled together towards one cause daily. What's the impact of your dollar then? You don't have to imagine it. You can and should do it by joining Daily Giving today. Head over to dailygiving.org and become a daily giver today. That's dailygiving.org. Jewish Money Matters, episode 361, investing in Israeli tech right now with Tut Shani. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. What I see now in the in the economy, and that was like the, the sixth day right. after October 7th, he mm-hmm. said everyone is doing what they're best at. Restaurants are making food, toy stores yeah. donating toys. What we do best, help entrepreneurs and allow them to build phenomenal companies grand companies that would fuel the economy. That's what we do best. Right. And that's what we need to focus on. Mm -hmm. And then came all the, you know, questions. So now we know that we need to revert back to our core. And that's where we need to contribute to the global effort. But what's the best way to do that? Would you like to invest in the Israeli tech sector, but are not sure how? Or perhaps you're wondering whether it's too risky or whether you should wait till after the war? My guest says no, and she has a solution for you. It's called Tech Shield. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today, I have the legendary founder of Serona Ventures, Tud Shani. We talk about her entrepreneurial journey. We talk about how she came into the role of founding manager of now one of the most impactful venture capital firms in the Israeli tech sector with Bill Billions of dollars under management. What was the need that she saw, the white space in Israeli tech, and what did she set out to accomplish? What is Tech Shield, and why did Toot and her team at Serona decide to focus on this right after October 7? What is a reverse fund, and what is this model trying to do for the Israeli economy? Perhaps you'll want to be part of it. And if you're an entrepreneur, maybe you're skeptical about outside capital, well, Toot will help you rethink that. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an investor, I know Toot's passion and the mission behind both Serona and TechShield will inspire you. Here's Toot Shani. Toot Shani, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. How are you? Thank you for being here. I'm good. Thank you so much, Yael, for having us. I'm very, very excited um, to get to talk to you today. I know we, for a while, we've been trying to talk. You are the founder and managing partner of Serona Ventures, an Israeli venture capital firm with an impressive track record in the tech space. Uh, you manage a, uh, a portfolio of about 100 companies, billions of of dollars in portfolio value. Um, and you guys have an incredible new initiative since October 7th, Tech Shield, Tech Shield that we want to dive into today. But before we get into that, I think it would be really beneficial for the audience. And I'm sure, um, there's a long version and a shorter version to this, but to get a little bit of a feeling of Toot as a founder, as a managing partner, what came first to the love of 
entrepreneurship or the love um, of the and, and business or the love of tech? For me, that's that's an easy one because I I grew up in a non techy family. Oh, um, so so for me, the the love of business was absolutely you know primer to to the love of tech. Really, and, they were entrepreneurs. But, Your family was entrepreneurial on on a smaller scale, uh-huh. uh, but they were very entrepreneurial as um, you know as professionals. Uh-huh. And, and so I grew up in a very creative environment. So for me, being independent and taking decision to go out there and, you know, fulfill my own dreams and build my own initiatives and create my own job, uh, all of that was something of a routine in, in our house. Uh, it was never about, okay, you need to make a living. You need to go find a job. It right. was about, you need to make a living. You need to make, you need to create your own job. Nice. And so for me, that was, you know, very, that's, that's, you started from the easy ones, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's always, it's always interesting to me. So how did, so, so you have this, you un- have this understanding that if, if I want to create, um, if I want to bring money to the table, I have to create my own thing. I don't depend on anybody else. You know, I generate value and I get money in exchange, which is a great thing to learn early on in life. At what point, um, does it veer into tech? Did you start your own companies? Like wh- at what point do you, what happens? In, wh- give us a little bit of uh, connected dots for us a little bit. Okay. Uh, so yes, I started my own company. Uh, you know, in Israel, there is a mandatory military service. Uh, so I was, um, pretty fortunate to have, um, um, a technological program prior mm-hmm. to the military. So I studied electronics engineering. Oh, wow. Prior to go, prior to serving in the military. Oh. Um, and that was, I would say that I was always like tech savvy. Um, but I was never into tech. Uh-huh. And that was my first introduction with, uh, you know, the world of how does technology actually work? Mm-hmm. And, and it was very interesting. And, and what's I the finished, company that you started? What is it? What was the company? So that was after the military service. Uh huh. Um, it was a non-tech company, uh, an entertainment business. That was my first, my first company. Uh, it was non-tech at all, but it uh-huh. was very successful. And I sold that after a few years. Ah, so you sell that company and then you come up with the idea of building an, an, uh, a venture capital firm. So I'm, I'm older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had this company, then I had, um, a short period of time in an enterprise, uh-huh. uh, where I, where I worked for a large German, uh, conglomerate. Oh, so you went to corporate. <laughs> I went to corporate. Um, that's a big a decision. change. <laughs> it was a big change, but it was a decision and mm-hmm. it served the purpose. It was uh-huh. very interesting. I learned so much, um, during that year there. And, and then I, I built a second company. Oh, this is before Sorona. Before Sorona. And then Sorona, we started in 2017. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And what was the second company? Entertainment uh, also? No, it was um an economic consulting firm. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. And so what what sparked the idea that you wanted to find, f- f- um, to found this fund, Sorona? What, what, what sparked the idea? Um... When I was running my firm, um, mainly I was running in international initiatives. So uh-huh. working with, you know, multilateral organizations like the World Bank Group and European Commission and governments. We had an initiative, a project with the, the Guatemala government or 
Um, you know, some, some countries in, in Europe, we, we had initiatives with large multinational corporations. Um, and prior to that company, I was pretty involved in the Israeli tech scene. Um, I would say startup scene more than tech uh-huh. scene. Uh-huh. We, we built together with a few more friends, um, a community for startups, for entrepreneurs. Uh, the founders used to meet once a week and, you know, exchange ideas, exchange, uh, problems, share with each other, support one another. So I was, I was pretty active in the, you know, communal aspect of mm-hmm. the Israeli tech uh, ecosystem. In 2012, I organized, um, a pretty big, I would say, hackathon. Uh, in Tel Aviv, it was hosted at the Google campus. Mm-hmm. Um, back when it was just, you know, launched in 2012, I think we were like the 10th event that they held in their space. Um, and when I built my, my, uh, consulting firm, it was primarily working outside of the country, mainly with, with large CEOs or, you know, big, um, organiza- financial organizations. Um, and, Around 2000, I would say 16, 17, um, I started to read more what, back what's happening in, in Israel. And, and it really struck me that the difference between the Israeli entrepreneurs back then, yeah, uh, and the, the international entrepreneurs was fundamentally different in a way oh, that. So, so. An international entrepreneur, um, usually would be, you know, someone that is business oriented that wakes up in the morning and asks themselves, what can I sell to whom? Uh-huh. Where can I find a business opportunity and make, you know, money, make margins, mm-hmm. make a business? Mm-hmm. Whereas in Israel, it used to be way, way more innovation oriented or product oriented or tech oriented. It was not about an entrepreneur waking up in the morning and asking, okay, how, how am I going to do business today? It, but rather um, a creator, you know, a techie mm. or a product person uh, that would wake up in the morning and say, what am I going to create, to innovate, to build that will be so disruptive, so different that no one else had ever done, done that before, mm-hmm. which created an ecosystem that is very, very different than regular, you know, business environments and business entrepreneurs just getting up in the morning and saying, okay, I'm going to build a consulting firm. I'm going to build a real estate firm. I'm going to build a, um, you know, any other type of, of, just regular line of business. Mm-hmm. And, but the other side of it was that most of the businesses that were, you know, formed in Israel from a tech perspective and, and, and became big were, um, exits. Right. Were founders that were building technology and that they just build, you know, very, very deep technology with, with good, good product and maybe few customers, but then selling it away. Mm-hmm. And, and when I started to, you know, work a lot, a lot more in the international environments and, and looking back at what's happening in Israel, it really, I really felt like there is a huge missed opportunity in the Israeli ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And obviously the, the ecosystem in Israel is very close to my heart. Um, you know, I am 
from there. And, um, and we have, you know, us Israelis, Jewish people, even around the world, we have a very, very strong um, connection, whether we'd like it or not. And, and I think this is something also that very differentiates us and, and sets us apart than almost any other place in the world uh, where we really care. Like mm-hmm. we, when we think about Israel, we think it's a, it's a global national effort and it's something we all need to, to do together. We all, we all have built it together. We've, we've made it successful together and yep. we need to take care of it together. And mm-hmm. it creates a really unique, you know, set of mind. Uh, yeah. There's a sense of as, ownership. Yes. And a global mm-hmm. sense of ownership. Even mm-hmm. if you, even if you haven't lived there for, you know, five years, I was out of the country, but still for me, it was something very, very dear to me. And when I, when I, when I saw this gap that I was working with business entrepreneurs all mm-hmm. over the world, um, on a very large scale. And on the other side, I saw that in Israel, the Israeli entrepreneurs are, are building technology and selling it for $50 million, for $20 million, for like a hundred and fifty million would be, wow, that was a very big, you know, acquisition. And the mentality was not, Let's build a Google. It was let's build to sell to Google. Mm. Um, and I felt like it needs to be changed. And I decided to come back to Israel in 2017 mm-hmm. and to, um, to build, um, an initiative that would help the Israeli entrepreneurs to change their mindset from exit to build up. And Amazing. Amazing. No, I really, I really, really like this story. And I, now I can understand how, how that makes sense. So, so you're, you're, you're basically saying, let's, let's go in and help these companies, not just be ready for exit, but help them give them human capital, financial capital, all the things that they need to become these incredible global companies. And yeah, there might be an exit around the corner at some point, but let's take, let's take them to the max, basically. I think it's, it connects to the, to the sentence you said in the, in the beginning of this conversation. It's about value creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're building a company, with um, a thinking in mind that you're building a technology or a product, usually you would you would find someone that would buy this a buyer this, right. as, as like an acquisition. Right. Um, when you're thinking of value generation and you're thinking, okay, that's my customer. This is my beneficiary. This is my stakeholder. How do I continuously, repeatedly, ongoingly creating right. increasing value? Right. to this stakeholder. And I think that differentiates companies that are building a, a feature-like mm-hmm. company that ends up being sold, which is a good number of the companies in Israel, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, it mm-hmm. used to be, and still some are, um, with companies that actually manage to evolve throughout their lifetime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, if Amazon would stay a bookstore, they would not be the Amazon we know today. Exactly. Exactly. If Google would say, uh, would stay, you know, a search and they would not right. be the Google we know today. So, right. so building a legendary company is a question of how do you evolve and your evol- evolution has to come from a, a deep core question of who is my stakeholder and how do I continuously every single day, how do I create better value right. to this stakeholder? Right. And, 
And I, th- I, I thought, I mean, I still do, but uh, back then it was much more evident that the, the Israeli um, entrepreneur was, was lacking some level of, today I would define it as confidence. Mm-hmm. The Israeli entrepreneurs was lacking confidence to step up and build a larger company than a product that would be sold and then another product that would be sold because you saw a lot of serial entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. They, they were building, um, a deep tech company and then selling it and then building right. another deep tech company and then selling it and then another one and then selling it. Um, and today you actually see entrepreneurs that even if they haven't had this serial prior experience, which obviously, you know, it's easier to build a billion dollar company after you build a $500 million company. Um, but even if you have entrepreneurs that haven't done that in the past, they have the courage and the um, supporting infrastructure mm-hmm. in terms of the, the right venture funds, the right advisors, the right talent already in Israel, which was not necessarily the case you know, a few years back, mm-hmm. to actually take this challenge and build companies that would be, you know, revolutionary and evolutionary in order to to become huge success stories and and you see that in Israel today. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a bit of a culture change what you're proposing. It's it's an ambitious plan um to change the entrepreneurial co- culture from within. And I could see how it's very attractive to the entrepreneurs in the sense that it's not I'm going to give you capital so that you could stay product centered, but I'm going to give you capital, talent, advisory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that you can grow and be shift to become a va- that, that your focus is value generation, um, from within. Uh, so I can yeah. see how that could be very interesting. Now for, to clarify for the audience, you're a founding managing partner, which means that you brought in your own capital into this fund, um, along with partners. Um, was this always like, was, was this always the plan? Were you sitting on capital and saying one day I'm going to either go again and, 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 and create my own company or invest in companies like, Tell me how that transition worked, because again, not everybody's sitting on capital and saying, "Okay, you know what? I'm going to go revolutionary, revolutionize the <laughs> the Israeli um, entrepreneurial scene." Um, and yet, <laughs> you took capital along, I presume, with others, and you started this. So, I think I would say here something that I think would be beneficial to also the entrepreneurs in the room, not only mm-hmm. the investors in the room. Um, the most important thing when you're starting a journey and on any entrepreneurial journey is not necessarily the capital. Mm-hmm. It's the drive and the, yes. um, and the vision and the ability to bring in other people to your journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the bigger your mission, the more people you're going to need to help you to, to promote your mission and to, 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 push it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, I'm not an investor in nature. I'm an entrepreneur in nature. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, and my partners are as well. I was very, you know, fortunate. I think um, there is some background. Is this okay? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Um, 
so I was I was very fortunate to meet the right partners. Uh-huh. Um, I think I think you know in many junctions in life I could tell you both from my own experience as well as entrepreneurs that I've been um, you know backing along the years. People is everything. Mm-hmm. And I would say that again and again and again and again. Yeah. Um, and I was very fortunate to meet the, the right partners to build this initiative with, which also contributed capital, but that was not the, the main component. The mm-hmm. main component was experience, was vision, was passion, and was uh, longitude. Mm. Right. And that was, that was what allowed us together to build, uh, Sarona. So in 2017, I, I teamed up with, uh, the Boazi's single family office, mm-hmm. which is, uh, um, very notable entrepreneur who moved to Israel, you know, very Zionist, uh, Jewish, French, uh, moved to Israel and, um, basically started investing as a family office in Israeli companies with exactly the same mindset that I've had. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it just works that the world puts it together with the right people that you actually 100%. need to meet. A hundred percent. And this is what happened in, in our case. And so we, we teamed up and we, we bring together a very, very complementary set of skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Philip has built a company prior, uh, took it public, uh, made about 50 M&A operations, uh, with its own, you know, hands. Um, taking the company public, uh, 17 subsidiaries around the world, 2000 employees and, and myself with my experience with working with, with ecosystems around the world and having, you know, over 15 years of, of startup experience, uh, working with, with young entrepreneurs and helping them to pass, pass forward along with multinational CEOs. And um, what really puts us together is the vision to help the Israeli, you know, ecosystem and the Israeli entrepreneurs to to take the the country to the next level, take the economy to the next level. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, if um, if you would allow me, I think I think that's that's a very smooth transition to also why we actually decided to launch Tech Shield yeah. um, at this very moment. And, and, and I think this gives a really nice background to understand our motivation and our connection to the country and why, you know, being a fund, maybe we can give a few words about Saona as well, you know, on the side, just so, so the audience knows, but, but being a fund, you, you're not obligated to do anything. Right. Besides choosing the right companies and investing in them. Good so, point. so, right. So taking a decision to, to kind of launch something that is somewhat different yeah. than what you're usually doing. We, we don't, we're not, we don't have to do that. I mean, we, we could just continue, you know, day, day to day, continue with our fund, finding good companies, investing in them. We're not, we're not obligated to do anything different, than, but, yes. but we did. But you did. And, and I want you to tell specifically what Tech Shield is. But first, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that point because that's something that I, I intuitively noticed as, as I was reading about Serona and Tech Shield. The first thing that came to my mind is, wow, what a group of people. October 7th happens. And a few days later, we all have to go back to work. What, what happens 
give us a little bit of the the spirit and the conversation within the team within that space that made what was going on in your minds in those conversations that made you so it made it so clear for you to as a ceo as a leader to say we're focusing on this right now even though it like you very well said you didn't have to so give us a little bit of the feel of what were those conversations that that really was that impetus for it I'll be completely, you know, candid with you. I was actually shocked in the first mm-hmm. few days, week um, after October 7th. We were not, at that first week, we're we not were productive. Not, we were not. I mean, we were trying to be helpful, right? But, but we were, we were in complete shock um, on all fronts. So we, we did things to help you know, the soldiers. So we donated some money and we, we bought food for the soldiers and uh, um, tried to help to the families that uh, were evacuated. But I think all in all, both me and, and the team, right? I mean, I don't think it's not a, an easy thing to wake up after something like this um, and, and tell your team, okay, we're going back to work. Even to tell yourself, yep, okay, we're going back to work. And so it took us a, a few days to get back on, um, you know, orientation. Yeah. Um, and, but then the internal conversation was before anyone e- even spoke about the economy. Everyone was, was still discussing two main topics. They were one, how do we help the soldiers in the front line, including the, you know, evacuees and uh, and the families uh, and how do we combat the social media battle, battle these right. were the two main main, main right. topics that were primarily dominant um and for us it was very clear from from already the you know the fourth day fifth day and the first throughout the first week that israel is not only a security country. It's not a military country. Israel is a startup nation. And that's that's the primary reason why Israel has been able to create so many interlateral alliances with countries around the world throughout the years. Mm-hmm. It is not because we have nice eyes. It is not because, you know, we we have natural resources because we did not until this recent gas. Um it's because Israel has a very strong defense technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. which creates a pretty solid and stable economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you must admit, if you're looking at the, at the Israeli economy throughout the years, even now, you know, even during the wartime, yes, you had a peak of, of the stock market, but then it, it, it peaked right back. Yes, you had a peak of the, you know, Israeli shekel versus the dollar, but then it, it, it balanced right back. The Israeli economy is very stable, mm-hmm. has been and is, um, and I believe it will be. And, and that is the main thing that allows us as a country to create partnerships with international countries around the world. Right. Um, and, you know, if you add on top of that, the, the fact that for Jewish people around the world, and you see it now, when Israel is, is weak, it's, it's terrible. 
to be a um, you know Jewish community in other places around the world because that's how it is mm-hmm. um, and I don't think we need to fight to change it we just need to fight to keep Israel strong mm-hmm. um, and and that's what we're doing but given that so many people and I might say you know smart people um, are engaged mentally emotionally economically in making sure that this country is and will be very very economically stable and strong it will be and mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and when we were discussing internally we were saying hey I mean the the front line and the social media is not the only battle that we're fighting and to be honest the most important battle in our opinion and also where we are the the stronger when we are asking ourselves okay I mean we are buying foods to the soldiers is that really the best way for us to help We go back to that network. We go back to that. Where do we add value? Right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and how, where do we move the needle too? Right. right. With all our network. And we have, I think we are, we're one of the most international VCs with, um, a, 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 an office in Israel. Mm-hmm. And, and our ability to move the needle for the Israeli startup and tech ecosystem. And by that, the, the economy is, is really vast. Right. You know, with, with the network that we have, the people that we know, um, the capital that we can, we can access. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and our responsibility, I think not only ours, I think the entire tech sector in Israel, but you know, I speak about ourselves. We are an economic player. Mm-hmm. We are not a non-for-profit. Right. There right. are a lot of non-for-profits. We give them Money. doing great work right doing amazing work but that's not where we're strong mm-hmm. and and in our in- internal conversation um our operating partner in Israel he said something that that you know really resonated with all of us he said you know what I see now in the in the economy and that was like the the sixth day right of after October 7 he mm-hmm. said everyone is doing what they're best at restaurants are making food food Um, toy stores donating toys what we do best we just help entrepreneurs companies right. help entrepreneurs and allow them to build phenomenal companies grand companies that would fuel the economy that's what we do best right and that's what we need to focus on mm-hmm. um, and then we then came all the you know questions so now we know that we need to revert back to our core and that's where we need to contribute to the global effort but what's the best way to do that right and so and so what is the best way to do that it's obviously tech shield so tell us exactly what tech shield is attempting to do so tech shield um, is a reverse fund initiative and by reverse fund we mean that we built a structure we built a mechanism a framework that will allow us investors that just it's with you know justly they have some concerns on fueling their money now into Israeli companies or Israel Israeli funds or Israel in general because mainly investors that are around the world now Jewish people mm-hmm. around the world they are very connected to the Israeli 
economy and these in the country and as a whole and and have a strong desire to support right. but when you speak about investors and we know i mean we are also a single family office before we turned into a fund we we invested our own money alone um so we are also a, a family office and we know that charity pockets and money pockets are not the same pockets mhm and you you don't do one with the other and vice versa so if you want to help the country you're going to donate but what we do and what we think is important is to fuel capital into israeli companies in order for them to grow mm-hmm. and for them to keep building the israeli economy to continue being strong and stable as it was up to now mm-hmm. because we all agree that that's what we need in order to make sure we're all you know living happily ever after and and having Amen. quiet peaceful life Amen. Amen. um so what we launched is a is a mechanism that that takes away the ambiguity and the concerns mm-hmm. by providing the transparency in advance so instead of creating a regular vc fund mm-hmm. where an investor just puts their money in a in a fund and hopes that it would be directed to the right companies we understand that now coming and saying to an investor invest your money and i'm not sure which in, which companies i'm going to invest in may create some you know Unease. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. And so we created the reverse fund mm-hmm. model where we first pick the companies and only then we raise the capital. Mm-hmm. So we group them together into one fund, but the investor knows exactly from day one to where their money is going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and we launched it, um, and we're now we're now in the you know first reverse fund that we're launching and um i must tell you that the the feedback is is phenomenal i want to hear about what kinds of companies you chose for that first reverse fund what what are the specs what are the what's the profile of companies what were you looking for it is critical for us I mean, we've, we've invested in over a hundred companies in the past. We have seven billion dollar companies in our portfolio, uh, including the biggest one, which is now 12 billion dollar. So we know what we're doing. We know, we know how to choose companies. And I mean, sometimes obviously it doesn't work, but our track record is, is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still don't come to the investors and tell them, give us your money. Right. Uh, we bring the companies in advance. Um, and we decided to focus specifically on companies that are already VC backed. Mm-hmm. They, they have sufficient runway. So they have sufficient capital already in their bank account, meaning mm-hmm. it's, these are not companies on distress. These are not companies that are going to close tomorrow morning. These are companies that we actually believe Mm-hmm. That are going to be big, successful, create jobs in Israel, mm-hmm. make good revenues, and also have a good exit event or, you know, IPO. So one could argue why, why focus on the ones who have financial runway, who have already the backing, instead of focusing on the ones who, given the war, are at 
the brink of running out of financial runway? We believe that, again, when investor puts his money, mm-hmm. he, he makes a choice. Do I make a, a, a donation or do I make an investment? Right. Um, and as we said, our job in the Israeli ecosystem is not charitable. Mm-hmm. Our job in the Israeli ecosystem is, is, is also the global investors who are, you know, have, have been and are investing in the Israeli tech ecosystem over the past, you know, decades. Mm-hmm. So our job is not to save the bad companies. Our job is to strengthen the good companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and these companies are today, not all of them, but some of them are today in a situation that in October 7, we know what happened. In October 8, they received an email from investors that have, have signed term sheets with them and told them, hey, I mean, we like you and all, but let's wait until end of Q1 to see what's happening. And these are excellent companies. I mean, the companies we chose for the first reverse fund are companies that are all VC backed. They have revenues. They're growing 10% to 26% month and month. Mm-hmm. They have customers that, you know, the biggest companies, um, right. the biggest companies, the biggest logos, you know, in today's, you know, global tech world are, are their customers. Right. But the situation is, is, is that Israel has went through, um, a shakeup. Mm-hmm. And this shakeup created a situation that, that less international capital is now, is now going to Israel. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you were, you know, an un, unrelated investor prior to October 7, all you had in your head was Israel has the best technology in the world. Mm-hmm. After October 7, what you had in your head is, oh my God, my LPs are going to, you know, burn me alive if I'm going to tell them that I geared money into uh, a war zone. Mm-hmm. We know that it's not a war zone like it is being, you know, depicted. But people who don't understand, that's what they right. see. Right, 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 right. And so, and so you now, I, I saw that you closed applications. You're not taking applications anymore, are you? We are focusing now on, so we received over 300 companies. Okay. And we focus, we chose seven. Wow. Okay. Uh, and with this seven, we're going to raise the first reverse fund. Okay. How much are you looking to raise? We're raising between seven and a half to nine million dollars. Uh huh. And uh, ideally, we're going to complete this fund end of February, mm-hmm. and then potentially can open another one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, does that mean that let's say each of these seven companies are? Does it work equitably, like in the sense of how much of those, let's say you raise $8 million, do they each get a portion or, or how, how does it work? So we actually made a full due diligence process mm-hmm. before we chose the companies. Mm-hmm. And then we chose the seven companies. Mm-hmm. So during this due diligence process, we also negotiated the valuation for them. Right. We also... Um, agreed on how much money we're going to invest. 
so the the package is you know it's 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 done it's sealed mm-hmm. and we're going to deploy between 600k to 2 million dollar per company okay okay in this in this fund mm-hmm. and the companies we have there are you know extraordinary um and i think it's important also to know that the companies that we've chosen are not companies again they're not companies that are out there and they say i've been i cannot function anymore i'm going to close i need rescue it's the contrary these are companies that are you know they're growing phenomenally but they've they they are in a situation that term sheets were were withdrawn or their existing investors are foreign and they cannot fuel more capital Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's circumstantial, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. also creates, I think, you know, for investors that are going to join us in this journey, I believe this is a clear, classic double bottom line. What because I mean that when an investor invests in this reverse fund, it's not like they're, they're saying it's charity, but it's also, it's not like they're saying, That's like regular business. I'm going to just invest in companies Mm -hmm. because they're investing in companies that are fast growing. Mm -hmm. They are definitely going to create substantial returns. Mm -hmm. But this is a situation where these companies, if they don't have the amount of capital they need now, they're going to, to, you know, to grow less and they're, they, they, they are in a situation that they would contribute less to the economy. So when, mm-hmm. when, when an investor decides now to invest, whether they choose to invest because it creates an impact on the economy or because it creates, it's an opportunity because these companies were not available otherwise, both are fine. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, either or both are fine. Right. Right. I, I had a follow up question to this, which was, ah, yes, about the skepticism. We're, ta- we're, we're talking about how it's interesting for the investor, right? Uh, and I could see how it's interesting for the investor, um, especially the investor who is motivated to really help, like you first introduced, to really help the economy, who really has that sense of ownership and believes and understands, right? And, and they're coming to you and they're seeing these companies are vetted. Um, they're vetted by a group who knows how to vet companies, right? So I know, I know really the impact of my dollar, so that's all very, very good. From the perspective, and this is probably not just um, particular to TechShield, this might be just a general thing, but from the perspective of the company, there tends to be, you know this, a bit of a skepticism in terms of, number one, how much is the you know, VC fund or my investors, how much are they going to be involved in the day-to-day minutia management management of the company? And number two, how much equity do I give, right? There's always that tension when we take outside capital. Um, would you help us kind of clear that skepticism? Um, because you well know that there, that there's ways to navigate this and that people shouldn't be scared. Are you speaking from the company perspective or right. from, from the company perspective? Right. How much equity should they give to an investor? Right. Usually the, 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 the feeling when I'm going to take capital is, you know, how much equity am I willing to give up? Right. And also how much do I want these people to be in my space telling me exactly what to do? Right. And I'm sure you've encountered that obviously in your work. Um, but I'm sure there's some light that you can bring from your experience to help calm that, that notion, let's say. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, it's kind of, um, of a different, I think, perspective and, and, um, and topic versus how investors look at the, you know, at the, at the investment realm. Right. Um, for an entrepreneur, there is, so there is a thumb rule of how much equity you're going to give in every single investment round that mm-hmm. you're doing. Um, but then there is also reality. So right. in, in the thumb rule, usually you don't want to give more than 20, 25-30% in every single equity round that you're raising. That's the thumb rule. So every um every round you want to, you know, multiply your valuation approximately three, four times, then you want to give 20 to 30% of your of your equity to an equity investor. Mm-hmm. Um that's the thumb rule. Now, a question of how much equity you give is um, is a derivative of what's the valuation of your company, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, at the end of the day, you have your valuation, how much money you're you're raising, and uh, and that computes the the equity. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so I think if my my advice for um, for entrepreneurs and for startup founders is um, a always Take more advice. I mean, always research the best practices in the market uh, before you agree with, uh, especially employees or, you know, if you're giving uh, a, a, an option portion, an ESO plan or an equity stake to an employee, um, look through and, and try to benchmark what's, what's the most standard. And, and when you're speaking with investors, Try to evaluate so you can, you can take a, an equity deal that gives more shares if the investor is more valuable to you. Right. Um, and that's okay because the startup game is a long term game. Mm-hmm. It's not a game where you say, okay, I want to capitalize on my buck. Right. Um, on a short term gain. It's, it's, it's a long term game. And in the long-term game, it it makes much more of a difference um, choosing the right partners. Going back to you know people. That's the key uh, word, right? The partnership, right? That's the key word, partnership. And and your investor is your partner, right? Um, yeah. So try to find trying to find the the investors that would be valuable to the right extent. Um, and let you work the right extent. Yes. Um, yes my, yeah. my, my, you know, different investors, different investment strategies, different philosophies. Um, but my philosophy is that it's better to invest on the right team and let them do their job. Help them when you need, when, you know, when they need, uh, connect them when it's valuable. But mainly invest on the right people, on the mm-hmm. right team that knows how to execute the the vision that they're after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a testament to why you guys at Serona have been so successful, right there. Um, so, so going back to these seven um, companies, were these companies already financially backed by Serona, or they were new to you? Serona participates in the investments. Yes. Okay. So Serona is going to participate in the race. It doesn't mean that they've invested in these companies before. True. 
And and so what is the timing? You talk about raising up to maybe $9 million. What is the timing now that you think um, you're going to close the race? You're going to be able to raise the money? We're going to close this uh, first reverse fund by end of February. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, yes, it's a, it's a rapid raise. Very nice. Very, very, very cool. So so if someone wants to learn more about investing in TechShield and or applying, um, submitting an application for their business, where should they go to? So they can just visit uh, techshield.sarona.vc mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and everything is there. All the information is there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they can reach out to our investor relations team uh, or apply as a startup company. And, you know, and for it, me, just, just one last, you know, sentence on that. For me, the most important is to see that, that investors confidence is back. And I want to, I want to see investors having the confidence to, to, to invest in, in to back Israeli companies. Um, and, and that's, that's the, the overall, you know, global, purpose of uh, this initiative and mm-hmm. and and I hope to see more you know mm-hmm. uh, whether through us or other other initiatives to see to see foreign capital continues to come in Israel and uh, investors confidence um, back understanding that um, it's do good and uh, make profits you know both and I, I guess that brings us to um how how receptive was the market to to this idea I mean Evidently, you've done this pretty quickly. So I guess the answer is quite receptive. But maybe walk us through that. Um, how, how hard was it to sell the value proposition or maybe how easy was it to sell the value proposition to investors to participate? Uh, we kind of built it on the feedback of investors. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of, re- instead of going and launching a regular fund mm-hmm. that would come and say, we're raising a fund to invest in, you know, Israeli companies that have been impacted by the war. Uh, we, we went and spoke with our networks, you know, mm-hmm. mainly Jew, not only, but a lot of Jewish investors, mm-hmm. um, and international investors that some of them have been investing in Israel in the past. Some of them have not invested in Israel, uh, Israeli companies in the past. And, and really the, the common denominator with all of them was, listen, we, our heart is broken. We hear you. We really want to help. Mm-hmm. We've been donating. Right. We've been supporting the, you know, awareness effort on the social media fronts. We really want to help, but it's a bit concerning. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, we're not sure. We just want to, I mean, we have a single companies that we invested here and there, um, but we're not, we're not on the ground. Right. We don't really know what's happening. And when, mm-hmm. when we see companies and, and some of their people are on reserve duty and they have maybe customers that have been, you know, putting their, uh, contracts and, and negotiations on hold. And do you have investors who withdrew, uh, uh, term sheet? How do you differentiate between the good companies that are circumstantially in a situation they, they can use more capital and the companies that have been impacted and are not going to wake up from this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you differentiate them if you're not on the ground? Right. And that's where you guys come in. That's where we come. In. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and when we understood this, we really, we really cracked it with the reversed fund model. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was, it, it, it really creates, it allows the investors, you know, to ease down their concerns. Right. Right. 
because you know exactly where your dollar is going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know who are the companies, you know how are they performing, you know who are the other investors that are backing them, you know what's their market, you know who are their customers, and, and you know that these are not companies that are going to be closed tomorrow. Right. You know, worst right. case, they're going to be sold for a lower multiple than what we anticipate. Okay. But And these are okay. not companies that will die. And if, if we actually see them continuing to grow and succeeding beyond our expectations, every single dollar that we're putting is a dollar that goes into the Israeli economy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, It's mm-hmm. a dollar that goes into, you know, recruiting more people in Israel. And I don't know if you know, but that's a fun fact. Every high-tech salary paid in Israel creates three additional jobs. Wow. From spend. Wow. So there is nothing stronger that an international Jewish investor can do at this time to strengthen Israel's economy than to fuel capital into Israeli companies. Right, right, right. Beautifully said. I love that. And, 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 and the reality is that the fact that it's you guys doing it, I mean, it, it also, we have to admit the fact that you have such a track record, it, it, adds the comfort level. I mean, we're not, this is not just a reverse fund that's coming from, you know, nowhere. It's coming from Serona Ventures. And that, that makes, that, that definitely ups the game. I yeah, love that. I, I, ho- I hope that people will join uh, our mission here and, and really, you know, understand what we're here to do. And uh, it, it's not, it's not, we're not here just for, you know, a, a year or two. Right. We're here for the long game and we're here to make sure Israel continues to be the you know, shining light in the world and the phenomenal source of technology and innovation that, that it is. And, and it's only on us. I mean, yeah. we, yeah. us and us, us, you know, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, if there's anything. If there's anything that became clear after October 11 is that us, us is one. <laughs> We are one. There's no escaping it. We are one. We are 100% one. I can't let you go without asking a question that I, I will apologize because you were not forewarned. But be, being that this is a financial podcast, I'm always curious, is there any fintech coming out of Israel now that you're seeing that's exciting? Anything in the pipeline in terms of the financial technology that you're like, oh, that's That, that's something to keep an eye for. Uh, wow, there are many. Really? Tell us a little bit. Mm, so we, we have invested recently in a, in a very exciting fintech company. Um, in general, I think that what I find exciting at the moment on the fintech world yeah. is the you know, intersection between fintech and other industries. Nice. Uh, that's what I'm personally, uh, you know, when I look mm-hmm. at fintech, uh, I think these, this is very interesting because yes, you can say AI and AI is obvious because mm-hmm. AI is everywhere. Right. Yes, you can say blockchain because, you know, blockchain is obvious. And if, if you have good applications of, lo- of blockchain, which is not easy to do, then, then that's interesting. But in terms of applications and use cases, Uh, what I find interesting in fintech is actually the non-obvious fintechs. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we have a company that um, is doing um, mortgage lending. 
Mm-hmm. So they, they know how to, um, forecast the value, the future value of your property post renovation. Mm-hmm. And then they allow you with partnership with the banks to provide you a higher, um, loan to actually make a nicer refurbishing to make your house nicer and more valuable. Wow. And so that's a fintech, right? Yes. And their business model is fintech, but it's not the classic fintech that you would say, okay, that's um um technology for for banks or right, right. Another transaction. Another transaction. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Love that. that. I love that. To Chani, thank you so much. Continued success with Serona Ventures and with Tech Shield. And yeah, it should be it should be able to be exactly what you want it to be. It should fulfill the mission. And we're very, very proud and very happy that you're doing this. Thank you so much, Yael, for having me and uh, really pleasure to get to know you and everyone. Thanks to Chani for stopping by. You can learn more about TechShield and Sarona Ventures at sarona.vc. That's S-A-R-O-N-A dot V-C. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and rating on your Apple Podcast app. This is really the best way to help the show. I will pick a review of the week this Friday and gift you a 20-minute session with me. Looking forward to that as well as to being with you this Friday where I will answer your questions. You can send those via email, yael at yaeltrush.com. You can DM me on on Instagram or LinkedIn, or you can leave a text or voice note via WhatsApp to the number plus one eight three two three one seven six seven seven eight. That's plus one eight three two three one seven six seven seven eight. Thanks again for being here. Have a great week.